Hello everyone, my name is Lino Farrell, the host of Crib Wolf Talks. For the past year and a half, we have produced episodes focused on the critical lack of affordable housing and a range of topics that impact the lives and care of individuals with developmental disabilities, varied abilities, and the vulnerable population. We have, on occasion, invited some very interesting guests to our program that in one way or another impact the lives and care of individuals with IDD, varied abilities, and the vulnerable population. In today's episode, I will be interviewing a very special young lady named Sandra. I had the pleasure of viewing a recent poignant interview earlier this year by the International Teams Training, and it was powerful. Sandra is a masterful storyteller and a gracious teacher who uses her everyday experience in life to shine a light in the multitude of barriers that exist for those who experience various forms of abuse and poverty in Canadian society. She's an advocate, a voice for other survivors of abuse and poverty, someone whose heart is to inspire, encourage, and empower. Sandra, welcome to Crib Wolf Talks. I'm so happy that you're here today. And uh, just to let you know that Sandra has uh, prepared uh, herself for today's interview and she has uh, made notes, so she'll be reading her notes from answering my questions uh, from her notes, which I, I really firmly believe that uh, our viewership would want to listen to this message very carefully. The first thing I... I I've read a lot about you and, 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 you know, your journey and all that stuff. And I just wonder what motivates you to offer people your insight so courageously and uh, without reservations into your world. Thank you for those kind words and for your invite to participate in such an important and meaningful dialogue. I'm really honored and grateful to be here. Um, from my earliest memory until I was nearly 27 years old, I wish time I became homeless as a direct result. I was subject to severe abuse in all of its forms, physical, mental, emotional, sexual, financial, and so forth, primarily by those whom I should have been able to trust to love and protect me, and to be able to sincerely call mom and dad in the true sense of those words. As I had no extended family in Canada and very limited peer relationship, as per the imposed isolation of my abusers, as well as the daily bullying which occurred throughout my school career, influenced by the differences in me which had developed out of the trauma I was enduring and was already perceived by my classmates. I was very much alone in the world and thus had little means or hope of escaping the horrible environment which I had no other option but to call home. Having no one who was willing to speak out about or to stop the abuse and being unable to do so myself for a variety of legitimate reasons, I was forced to have to survive what I was suffering by whatever means I could create on my own as a child, which as you may be able to imagine was not only quite limited, but also very much a reflection of the self-loathing and self-destruction which I had learned early on and which I understandably deemed myself to deserve. Upon becoming homeless, I began to encounter and experience even more tangibly the cracks within a very broken system amidst a society where many priorities are sadly misplaced. For example, I was told by several people who I had known over the years that although they knew that something was wrong or something bad was going on in that house, they chose not to get involved for reasons of their own. This proves without a shadow of a doubt that the abuse I endured was largely preventable, which is a fact that I deeply struggle with to this day. I also found myself unable to access a shelter as most shelters only allowed the admittance of women fleeing domestic violence, 
which parental abuse is not under the umbrella of, as well as food banks which require documents bearing proof of address and income. I learned that because I was unable to access a shelter, I was also not a priority to receive geared-to-income housing, which otherwise had a wait list of several years, and thus would have to pay market rent on an ODSP budget, and that as I had no insurance and was unable to pay for it out of pocket due to unemployment, I could not afford therapy, never mind a therapist who had training in trauma, beyond the very basic and short-term government-funded 10 sessions that were provided by a few agencies within the city. Although I thank God that they exist and are available to people, personally, given the severity and duration of the trauma I had endured, this only served to make things worse, opening up deep wounds and leaving me abandoned and alone to deal with them when the allotted number of sessions ran out. Despite the odds, I became a Christian, and the verses which referred to loving your neighbor as yourself, for example, Matthew 22:39 and doing unto others as you would have them do to you Matthew 7:12 are of particular meaning and importance to me in light of this and of my own experience as well as the many years of volunteering i have done in various roles which serve those who are on the margins and living in poverty namely survivors of trauma i developed a deep sense of compassion and empathy as well as a desire to seek justice and to do what i can to prevent and lessen the suffering of others, remembering what it was and still is like for myself. Wow, there's, uh, there's so much in that eh, that you've endured and that, that your experiences, that there's so many things that are wrong there, right? And um, we could spend a whole show, the rest of the show, just talking about that those, that one question, but uh, I want the audience to know more. And so you talk about the poverty loop in some of the material that I've read about you. And based on your informed perspective and lived experience, so to speak. Is there a relation between the past trauma and present poverty? There is definitely a deeply undeniable relationship and inextricable connection between present poverty and what many would refer to as past trauma, mm -hmm. particularly in cases where the trauma which was suffered was severe and or sustained. Personally, as a survivor of trauma, which certainly meets those criteria, the various forms of poverty which I currently experience are without any doubt a direct result of the abuse I endured, as well as all of the entirely natural, automatic, and understandable ways in which those factors impact my current day-to-day -day existence. I will share specific examples throughout this interview, but the deficits created by those factors which remain beyond their control, as well as the toll they take, typically result in significant loneliness and isolation, increasing the already existing and taxing physical and mental health challenges in a vicious and seemingly inescapable cycle. If all of that isn't enough, this tangled web of difficulties invariably leads to additional complications, including unemployment and a forced reliance on social services such as OW or ODSP, which although necessary for survival, ultimately keep you stuck in poverty, unhealthy means of coping, lack of self-care, addiction, suicidal thoughts, urges, and attempts, completed suicide, homelessness, incarceration, emergency room visits, hospitalizations, shelter admissions, and the like. If you take away only one thing for this, let it be that the recognition 
of and determination to, in some form, address the fact that poverty does indeed cost us all, including the average middle-class tax-paying citizen, whether we realize or acknowledge it or not, and that until those of us who face the injustice of a life lived in poverty are free, it is in truth impossible for any of us to be. Well said. Can you talk to us about this, uh, the concept of poverty being expensive? Because I find that very interesting. I can. While many, when they hear the word meme, would think of something funny, there is in fact nothing humorous about poverty, nor the toll it takes on every aspect of the lives who suffer within it. Mm -hmm. I absolutely would agree that poverty is extremely expensive in a ways that encompass much more than the area of finances as it has a tremendous impact on elements such as physical and mental health, relationships, housing and food security, and overall well-being and safety, just to name a few. Take this real-life case scenario, for example. Diane is on a waiting list for geo-to-income housing, but in the meantime, she must pay market rent on an ODSP budget for an affordable apartment in a part of the city that has one of the highest crime rates. The landlord is much more like what many would refer to as a slumlord, and Diane's apartment is almost always too hot or too cold and in desperate need of repairs which are just not getting done. As she cannot afford to move, Diane is afraid to rock the boat, and regardless, as someone who lives on the margins, she has little recourse and thus little choice but to live under these conditions. No matter how responsible she is with the limited funds she receives each month and does not indulge in any luxuries, ODSP does not provide enough to live on, and Diane cannot possibly make ends meet, much less save or get ahead. As she does not meet the required amount of monthly medical appointments, ODSP will not provide Diane with the money for a monthly bus pass, and as such she must walk everywhere that she needs to go, including to the food bank and to what medical appointment she does have. As a result, Diane's shoes have holes in them and are worn beyond repair, but there is just not enough in the budget for her to replace them, even at a thrift shop, never mind to buy new ones which would take longer to wear out, and so Diane continues to have to wear them and to have to walk. Although it, in large part it fills her belly, Diane has learned that many of the food banks and community meal programs tend to provide a lot of carbs and lacks adequate fresh fruit and vegetables in the lean forms of protein and dairy required for a healthy brain and body. As such, Diane finds herself sick often, as well as quite sore, yet she cannot afford over-the-counter medications or supplements, and thus frequently must seek medical care at clinics and occasionally at the emergency room in the hospital, sometimes even being admitted for legitimate ailments which were beyond her control. In light of this, before long, Diane's ability to sleep also becomes severely compromised, perpetuating the sickness cycle, which in addition to the pre-existing disability from which she suffers, as well as the combination of other aforementioned factors, makes it impossible to seek employment, and even more so any form of gainful employment, and thus the endless list of expenses continues to complete the poverty loop. In this example, as well as those of countless number of people I have come into contact with who live in poverty, 
I would definitely counter the societal stereotype that people who live in poverty are lazy, stupid, unmotivated, and so forth. In fact, most are creative and courageous people who work and fight every day in ways that many of us will never truly know or understand to simply survive. And that, my friends, is both extremely exhausting and admirable. Well said. Uh, there exists uh, social and relationship barriers. I believe you mentioned that uh, created as a result of trauma. I uh, listened to your last interview. Can you walk us through these barriers and explain why you think these exist? In addition to my individual experience, through the vast majority of volunteer work which I have done and continue to do with survivors of trauma, mm. it is both abundantly and irrefutably evident that trauma creates interrelated and often debilitating physical and mental health challenges, which also tend to lead to social and relational barriers. For example, even simple social interactions which many folks take for granted, such as grabbing a cup of coffee with a friend, typically require access to finances. While that expense may seem minimal, and in fact may be inconsequential for most, for someone living in poverty, the loss of even those few dollars can very well subsequently translate into being forced to make the choice between paying their bills or rent on time, or even at all, or finding the necessary change to complete a load of laundry or to take the bus to a food bank. It follows then that social interactions, experiences, and opportunities all become significantly limited, and along with the many other consequences of severe and sustained trauma, which include, but are most definitely not limited to, developmental delays, learning disabilities, the inability to participate in post-secondary education, lack of social and life skills, frequent diagnoses of post-traumatic stress disorder and depression, and a myriad of trauma triggers which arise even in the midst of activities and interactions which most would consider commonplace and not upsetting or threatening in the least, serve to enhance and expand their adverse experiences which in and of themselves differ from that of the average person, and in turn inevitably increase the divide and separation which is already present. Interesting. So, I understand you do a lot of volunteer and advocacy work with uh, individual survivors of trauma. Uh, can you tell us about that part of your life, Sandra? Despite the odds, again, given the severe and sustained abuse which I have endured, I became a Christian, and the verses which refer to loving your neighbor as yourself, Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine, and doing unto others as you would have them do to you, Matthew seven twelve, are of particular meaning and importance to me. In light of this, and in the hope of being both an advocate and a voice for other survivors, I have volunteered my time in a variety of capacities, including day camps and after-school programs for children living in poverty, community drop-in programs given to those in need, fundraisers, committees which increase awareness around homelessness and the very real need for affordable housing, and sharing my story and journey at seminars and conferences, as well as mentoring another one-on-one -on -one work with fellow survivors of trauma, all of which I was nominated for a YWCA Woman of Distinction Award last year. Mm. While the nomination was truly an honor, really my heart is just to come alongside other survivors and to inspire, encourage, and empower them on their own healing journeys, to be the kind of person who I wish had been there for me 
to help lessen their suffering and to let them know that they are not alone and that there is hope. It is also my desire to assist others who may not have experienced the trauma of abuse to increase their understanding, compassion, and empathy of the plight those who have experienced firsthand the far-reaching impact of that form of violence through the sharing of my own personal experiences as a survivor of trauma, as what I have, as well as what I have learned through my various volunteer roles supporting other survivors. So, what can society do to affect change, like to support your advocacy work? What would you like to see? On my own journey, as well as in my work with other survivors, I am grateful to be able to say that I have witnessed and experienced some deeply healing, dignifying, and meaningful ways in which others have related with and walked alongside those who have suffered some of the worst which this world has to offer. And sad to have to say that I have also witnessed and experienced actions and interactions which were extremely hurtful, demeaning, and damaging. Unfortunately, there is a tremendous amount of ignorance, stigma, and stereotyping within our society when it comes to both trauma and mental health. And despite the deep need for safe places and a sense of community, the tendency to blame, shame, exclude, and further perpetuate the marginalization of those whom others deem to be different from themselves. While not everyone's intentions are innocent and pure, Many of these harmful beliefs, attitudes, opinions, and actions, in fact, originate from a place of simply failing to understand the struggles and harsh realities which survivors of trauma and those who live in poverty experience and endure on a daily basis, and may even be well-meaning. However, understandably, that ultimately brings little comfort to those who have already experienced so much callousness and cruelty and who yearn deeply for belonging, understanding, compassion, empathy, and unconditional love and acceptance, just as we all do. If we truly desire to help those who are suffering under the darkness of the injustices and evil perpetrated against them, we must begin by living out the fact that all lives, needs, feelings, voices, and stories matter, no matter how different they may be from our own. In place of judgment and determination to show them how right we are and how wrong they are, it is essential that we not only listen to and hear them, but relate to them and their stories with honor and respect, as if they are sacred, because they are. Whether or not we agree with them, it is of ultimate importance to treat them as the expert on themselves and their experiences, seeking to truly understand, empathize, and respond compassionately and tangibly with the love and care which we ourselves would want to be treated. Very well. Well, so we've come to the end, but before you leave, um, I always ask our guests this, if there's one takeaway for our viewership, for all these people that are listening to us. What would that message be from Sandra? I would want people to know that in order to make a difference in the lives of those who are suffering, you don't have to be rich, brilliant, or an expert. Mm -hmm. You simply have to care. Very understandably, trust typically takes a long time to build and change to take place, and our motivation should not be to attempt to transform others into our idea of who and how they should be, but instead to be committed to walking alongside them on their journey, to becoming the best version of themselves that they can. Healing is not linear. There are going to be ups and downs, and it is crucial that you stick it out through the process and that you're impeccable with your word. If you say that you will do something, it is important that you follow through. Sincerity, consistency, and safety are all absolutely key. 
These folks have been deeply harmed, and generally speaking, they are not going to care how much you know until they know how much you care, nor should they. Lastly, you don't have to perform heroic acts in order to truly help someone. Simply being human and authentically yourself in your imperfections with a heart of love, empathy, kindness, care, and compassion is amply sufficient, and it is often the little things that occupy the biggest space in someone's heart. Some may have heard this before, but there is a quote that reads, What can I do? I am only one person, said billions of people. We can all do something, and it is so important that we do so. I will end with a quote from John Wesley. Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. Thank you. Wow, incredible. So your story is so profound. profound. And the fact that you're here speaking to our viewership is so important. You're courageous. You have, you have a fantastic uh, ability to, to tell people your story, right? And that's important. So uh, you should be very proud of yourself. And um, I wish you continued success and hopefully many more instances where you will be speaking to the general public and and about your story and, and your message. Thank you very much Thank for you. being on our program. Thank you for having me. I want to thank Sandra for appearing on our show, for her candid words and for advocating for others. I really enjoyed our chat. I wish her continued success with her journey. It has truly been an honor to have her on our Crib of Talks. To all of our viewers, thank you for watching our program. Today's show will be posted on YouTube, and as an FYI, we have entered into a conversation with Kojiko, and starting in September, Kojiko subscribers will be able to see Crib Wolf Talks webcasts on the Kojiko Community Channel. Thank you to Kojiko for their support and interest in our program. As in the past, all of our episodes are available on our website, CribWolfTalks.com, and various social media platforms such as YouTube, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. If you wish to be a guest on our show or wish to be one of our corporate sponsors, please write to info at cribwolftalks.com. Thank you for watching, and a big thank you to everyone of our Crib of Talks production team. I am Lino Farah. Stay safe, and remember, let's help those who cannot help themselves. <laughs>